The subject for the evening talk is a small voice of concern. I would say that for a small but growing number of people there is a change which is taking place in consciousness at this present time of uh, uh, human standing which is which has some significance to it and in recent times I've been reflecting on this and what the implications of it are. And what I mean by that is, I would say or think that generally, and this is as much as say 10 or 20 years ago, the condition of human consciousness was such that it tended to be quite diminished, as it were, by the size of the world. And that a human being, in relationship to the world, would feel small by it, and the world would feel enormous. And we might say that this is still, to an enormous, a very large extent, the condition, the general state of affairs. And it seems to me that in more recent years, through a variety of factors, there is some change taking place. And I would attribute that change to the active process and work that is taking place on consciousness. The number of people like yourselves here in India who are willing to step out of one's social, um, political, national kind of upbringing and explore other fields. The wide outburst of information technology, which gives us quick, if not immediate, access to events taking place in other parts of the world. <coughs> If we're going to begin to put all of this together, it's as though the planet, in fact, is not as big, shall we say, as we frequently imagine, but actually it's quite a small place. And the issues of the planet and ourselves work together. And there are shifts which are taking place in consciousness and in with those who are in the foreground or forefront of human consciousness who begin to see the relationship of consciousness or person to planet. Not so much person to my, myself, person to family, person to job, person to my religious beliefs, person to my country or whatever and all the divide which takes place but that re a relationship is taking 
change is taking place in consciousness of person to planet. And this change which is taking place in consciousness of person to planet, to me is a sign of hope. A very important sign of hope. And I would like to explore that a little bit further. We could, we could describe our situation of being here right now in this uh, Thai monastery on the edge of Bodhgaya and in the heartland, shall we say, of Bihar, which internationally and in India itself is regarded as one of the poorest places in Asia, perhaps the poorest. That violence and corruption, impoverishment and countless forms of tyranny and hardship are present around us. And right at this present time we might describe our situation as almost as it were being in an oasis in this vast situation of being in Bihar. For several months of the year it is virtually unbearable living in this state. The heat comes in the uh, April, May period, one of the hottest inhabited places on our planet. It persists for days and weeks on end. The local people say it is intolerable living and enduring through all of this. That the rains, the monsoons come in the July and the August period, never knowing if they will come, sometimes coming and creating such floods that the roads, the lanes nearby, part of the village get flooded and all the isolation that takes place and threat to life with flooding. And this is the, the daily situation and us within our situation of being here, as I say, it's almost like an oasis. And one can pass through any place and one can pass through Bihar and we can not see what's in front of our eyes. Just not see. And when we begin to see a little bit more, it brings within us certain kind of responses and, and reactions within us. Sometimes we begin to see what is around us and we close down. It becomes unbearable and we, we resist, we tighten up in the face of what our eyes keep showing us. And when we can't face that, there is this mechanism, this defence thing which takes place inside, which puts defined limits on what our eyes are permitted to see. 
And we wonder, is it possible for us, with the condition of our consciousness as it is today, to <coughs> keep our eyes open, to go out into this world and be clearly aware of what is actually around us day by day, not close down to it, and keep a spacious, generous spirit alive. Is, is, is that possible? Because if it is possible, if we can explore that, I would say in those moments we are in the foreground, in the forefront of human consciousness. Because our awareness and our generousness of spirit has got nothing to do with social upbringing, nothing to do with nationalistic considerations, nothing to do with wealth and prosperity and self-accumulation. It's got to do with heart and, and eyes open and awareness. And you and, you and I may think these gestures that we may make are very small and incidental, but I say this is the expression of an evolved human being. This is an expression of someone who says, I want to live in the world fully and totally and not close down to what's around me. And it's as though the more conscious we become, the more consciousness is alert, <coughs> and the more that you and I are able to live in the oasis and experience that and all that's implied with it, the more there's a responsibility that goes with it. And the responsibility is like bringing water from the, o from the oasis to where the desert is. When we look at ourselves, and our relationship of ourselves to planet and our, our life, sometimes that looking at ourselves, we feel, and, and we, I, I mean we feel, as we, we, we feel as an individual in the face of what's in the world, quite powerless. And we may interpret that for ourselves as being a sign of weakness, of failure, that one as an individual is powerless. And I would say, at the individual level, that feeling of powerlessness is not a sign of weakness, I think it's a fact. I think at the level of just a human being looking at the world, the whole world can seem overwhelming. Let's, let's just take one present example. 
At the present time, we live in the world and we, we see the interdependence and interconnectedness. And we see that there are factors outside of the planet which have as much influence on life as the factors within the planet. We might take as a specific example of this the, the sun. And it's obvious, obvious self-evident that the sun, the moon, the earth, the planets, the space and so forth all interact together. It's also a fact that what protects us from the ultraviolet rays of the sun is what is referred to in the field of science and environmentalism as the ozone layer. It was discovered sometime about a year ago that due to the massive pollution and industrialism etc there is a hole in the ozone layer and the ozone layer is under threat due to all the materials and the poisons and the pollutions and etc etc and we don't know to what degree that particular threat is threatening life on earth it may be as with other situations in our contemporary time that enormous local economies as an example may be changed rapidly as an example it may be within the next five to ten years we don't know but it may be that people will, will be told you cannot possibly go on the beaches and get a suntan anymore the ozone layer isn't protecting you and if you do as people are finding out already you fall into the high-risk cancer group that may be the information which will be imparted to millions of people who are to all intents and purposes sun worshippers that single change will affect millions of lives of people whose life depends on the local economy on sorry on the foreign economy of people coming to spend time on beaches just through one single particular event taking place in in this in this planet and that may well be the next 10 or 20 years the message which goes out just as the message which goes out today in countless other areas in terms of AIDS or whatever that else is going on and then one says to oneself in face of this situation and many others too numerous to mention what can I do? the world exists in an interdependentness I feel weak, I feel helpless, I feel I can't do anything the forces seem to be working against those con against conscious human beings what can I do? and it seems to me what's necessary here is and what is being explored is not so much what can I do whoever the I may be but rather to open it out what can we do 
What can we do to take water from the oasis which we experience in life and put it to where, where it isn't present? And that transmission, that movement can take place in countless numbers of forms. Political, social, spiritual, service, giving, awareness and consciousness of others, its expression. There are myriad number of ways. But in order for that way, that vehicle to be found for us, first we must be aware. First we must be in the foreground of human consciousness. First, we must live in this world with our eyes and our ears open. And sometimes we find, and some of us have found this and I've found for myself, that when me, one's heart may wish to live with eyes and ears open, one doesn't want to close down to the pain of the planet. One wants to live really in the, in the world the way that it is and, and not withdraw out of it. And then one experiences heart open, one experiences and sees the pain of the planet and one's difficulty is how can I bridge this? I see what life is like, I see the, the suffering, the, what is going on on the earth in the lives of people and creatures and environment. I'm conscious of that, but one doesn't feel inside of oneself the resources to make the change. The consciousness is there, the planet is there, but it's like there's no vehicle, there's no bridge, there's no catalyst, there's no way of leaping that divide to connect. And when we don't know, we do see, we do hear, we do experience, we are concerned, and that's it. And what I have found, and what others have found, is it's too much to ask at the individual level, oneself, to have all the means, all the skills, to live as a total human being. And awareness and self-knowledge is, I know my limitations. And once I know my limitations, then I find out, where is the expertise? Where are the people who have knowledge? Where are the people who have knowledge and make that knowledge active? Where are the people who extend themselves? Where are the people who take risks? Where are the people who, who are living in the world and can't forget the world? So in our own awareness and observation, and the recognition of our limitation, then we have to recognize that. And, and I feel, step out and say, well, let me, let me find these people. They're out there somewhere. Those people are not spending all their time in the oasis. Those people are right out there in the desert. 
And let me go and find, let me see ways and means to make contact. Let me see what I can, if I can be fed and learned and nourished and then a generate action out of that. And in a very wonderful way, I notice in our, in our world, that that's actually going on. It's a kind of networking which is taking place with people who are, in the best spiritual sense of it, waking up first, becoming really aware first, second, making the step. And it seems to me that in that regard, knowledge and being informed and making the work, the effort to be informed is really vital. <coughs> and for those of you who are you know, gets continuing to spend more time in India, your, if I may say, attitude about your way you live in India and how you live and observe and experience this country and how you spend your days and your time in this country is of such significance that I can't possibly make it any more clear than to say future generations depend on it. That's the kind of responsibility we have. One can spend time in India and it's simply a temporary break from what one has come from. An extended period of being in a country where it's cheap to live, where the climate is comfortable for periods of the time and where one can just step away from what's known and familiar into something which is relatively unknown. That can be the experience of India. But the experience of India can reach, if we allow it to, with all the difficulty, places within, within ourselves that we can never go back to consumerism to exploitation, to profiteering, to making money just for making money, etc., etc. If one experiences India, one's heart can't go back to that. One can't be making money and profiteering and live and know that there is Bihar on this planet. So how we are our experience of, of here has implications within this situation that we are living in and wherever you go because you and I we're from all over the planet we are the planet.
One of the themes which we've been touching upon in the retreat together, I think it's very important to get this in a, in, in, in a perspective, in a balance. <coughs> that whenever we've been speaking about something, and we've touched on many themes in our dialogue, and our talking, meetings, the evening talks, question and answers, there have been a number of themes which we have talked about which are very important and you've touched on them in the go-round this afternoon and as I did too. Things like um, acceptance and letting go and just being with, non-resistance, those kind of themes. But whenever we have spoken about those themes, those themes are referred to in a context. You know, in other words, if one misunderstands the communication, one could just generalize those themes and say, oh, we must accept poverty. We must accept the, the, the suffering of the uh, dispossessed. We must um, let go of the idea of doing something. We mustn't resist what's happening around us. So in other words, when we've been speaking of these themes, the themes for us are referring primarily to what's occurring within ourselves, which we find ourselves fighting and struggling and uh, <coughs> involved in conflict with. Because what happens, what we experience is that when we are really locked into ourselves, our own little world and the self-sensation and what I want for me, what's best for me. That conflict, that battle, not only keeps us in prison at every level of it, but correspondingly it stops us from seeing beyond the self-sensation. So when we, when we speak of non-resistance, letting go, learning to accept, it's in a way, it's within the congestion and the conflict there to be with it, to not make an issue of it. So when there's no fight going on, it collapses in on itself. And it loses its substance, it loses its, its reality. And we've discussed and we've gone into how many ways we can, you know, get locked into the, in, the internal. And so our work has been looking at that with learning to see what's happening, letting go, dropping, seeing without resistance, trusting, so that much of that congestion inside can collapse, it, it can lose its meaningfulness that we've given it, its reality. Then we can see. Just recently, <coughs> I was just reflecting a little while ago 
And to some degree, the um, I touched upon it um, indirectly in one of the evening talks. And the uh, title of that talk was Love and Liberation. And in that talk, I, as I recall, made it, um, made the priorities, shall we say, in life. Liberation, heart's real, in, the real inner liberation. Really true, real freedom, that's the, the, the birthright of every human being on this planet. And that is not enough in itself. What, com what it ac is accompanied with is an active expression of love in life, and a clear active one, rather than just a feeling of concern or a feeling of warmth or a feeling of loving kindness or a feeling of compassion, but something active with all the commitment which is required for it. And I'd been reflecting, and the thought arose in me when I was reflecting was, if it actually came down, so to speak, if, if there's a situation arose where it came down to being either one or the other, understand? Either love active in this world for people or creatures or planet or whatever in that sustained and committed way, or one's liberation. And, and the liberation in a way which is not, certainly not expected, outcome of it isn't exploiting the world, but a, a liberation which is a kind of detachment from the world. If it actually came to one or the other, I would say the love for the world takes the priority more than the detached liberation which is sometimes emphasised. If it actually came down to that. But it seems to me that we have a potential and an immediate potential actually to embrace totality. To embrace totality is one which acknowledges the inner and the inner liberation as the birthright of humanity. And simultaneously acknowledges the outer. And so some, one of the questions perhaps we have to, have to ask ourselves, and a number of you have um, met with me today and on previous days, is what's my next step? What actually in my life is taking place from here where to there? What actually is the motivation that I have today, or I have tomorrow, to go to the next place? And does this intention and motivation have some connection with this talk? This theme of consciousness and planet people and planet. And sometimes we find with that, that some of those 
questions which we ask ourselves, and they're not, not easy questions to ask ourselves. What really is the motivation from when I leave Budgaya to whatever? That some of those questions put the mind into conflict. They start really raising things up inside of oneself that one may have, in various ways, actually avoided. And it's something about human consciousness that in putting these questions inside that one of the risks that we take with ourselves is if I'm going to ask myself, well, what really is my motive for point B? And it's not as some my heart's deep wish really is. And we have that, that conflict. It's really in that kind of question that you and I challenge our consciousness. It's, it's in that that you and I take risks. And, 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 and we're faced with the situation, and it's a difficult one. And it, this is where each person, each man, each woman, each one of us has to look for ourselves here with the situation of, I'm living my life, I'm going from one day to the next, every human being is going from one day to the next, am I living my life in a way that, what actually, my primary motive is to make things as easy as possible for myself? Is that really the thread that runs through my motivations? And I think there's a spirit of people who come here, come to India from the West, who in some way or other you know, are shrugging off that kind of want to make it easy for themselves. I know people, as I was saying to somebody yesterday, <coughs> who I have been encouraging, I tend to spend too much time in life telling people what they should be doing, but anyway, encouraging uh, a certain number of people that I know, who I regard as friends, and I hope they regard me as their friend, who I've said to them, you know, I think you should come to, go, come to India. I think it would be good for you to come to India and, and to experience India. Step out of the culture. You've never been out of the West. You've, you've never been out of all that the West... Um, um, protects you from, and, and to make that step. And a number of people can't do this. I don't say they should do it, or they must do it, ever, but they can't do it. And when one asks, well, why can't you? It's not because of job considerations. It's not be because they have a family, because they wouldn't ask parents and people, young children, to do such a thing. The reason that they can't do it is because they're afraid of getting sick, and they don't want to take the risk. That's the reason. And I'm saying that may be a valid reason, it may be a particular reason, and I don't want to undermine it. But what I am saying in its context, in this room, each person has taken the risk. And therefore the spirit of risk-taking is taking place. And I think there are other ways that you and I can keep taking those risks. 
And, and in that, we, you, we together, and, and others too, in countless fields, actually give support to each other. And sometimes in that, we, you know, we think, I can't do that. I can't take other risks. I can't extend myself. I can't. I can't. And one notices that the, this slightly overused word now, the empowerment which takes place is frequently is when people, not through themselves, but through togetherness. And sometimes other people recognize in us potential and capacity which we actually don't see in ourselves. Sometimes other people can read us and see us far better than we actually know ourselves. And we say to ourselves, I can't, and somebody else says, actually, you can. And I know you can because I've seen you do it. Take the risk in other situations and this is just one more risk on the journey of life. And this is where the networking and the connecting and power really becomes meaningful because we actually say to each other, we can do fantastic things together. And what better example than, than ten, days, 10 days here? Some of, you, some of you report you've never even heard of such a nightmare before you arrived. <laughs> <laughs> And the thought of the prospect, you know, X number of hours a day, sitting, walking, silence, being cross-examined like he was in a, in a courtroom in small groups, whatever. All of these things, I can't, couldn't handle that. And yet the togetherness and other factors make it happen. Make something go on in human consciousness which defies what we think about what we can do. And, and, and to me, this spirit, this quality, this heart, this kind of perception is the hope for the planet. And therefore, we are the people. And others, in other ways, our brothers and our sisters and many other fields all over our planet, this vast network of people who are waking up, who are becoming aware, who, end up, who, end, who are taking risks. And sometimes the risk is not so much life risk or, or health risk or whatever, but the simple risk of working in a particular field in which there's some expression of love and human service to another, in which one dedicates oneself in that field and works in a sustained way for that person or that group or that situation or whatever it might be, and never really, not really knowing what the kind of outflows and outcomes of it are. And there are many people in education, in health, in spirituality, in social issues, in countless ways, are bringing about 
another kind of consciousness, another way of looking. And the beautiful thing of people like flowers in institutions who are nourishing things in institutions and the very walls of these institutions are cracking because of the, some human beings, let's say like flowers, are coming up through these institutions and changing the whole conception of them. And others work outside of the established forms, but engaged in the same way, bringing life and light and love into the planet. It's not an easy process because, as we've been doing over the days here together, it requires of us that we are able, wherever we are in this journey of life, to be able to stop in our tracks and look and look again and look again and look again. And as someone pointed out, and I think it probably mirrored and reflected um, many other, many other others of us as well, that something which seems to be a catastrophe in life, which seems to be a dreadful shock, a terrible loss, a, um, a heartfelt pain of separation, a sudden change in one's life, that something can come through all of that in the most difficult of circumstances which make it a way of perceiving it which says, my goodness me, that which was so dreadful actually was so liberating. Actually opened me up in ways I just didn't know before. What is sometimes used in the English language, what is sometimes referred to as the blessing in disguise. And when that sense of that is there, then Letting go and forgiveness and forgetting and appreciation and gratitude has the opportunity to, to flow much more easily. <coughs> so I'd like us in the time and the days, weeks, months of uh, being in, being here in India, this vast subcontinent with its multiplicity and phenomenal diversity to really keep our hearts open, our eyes and ears open, and to, re to, to remember the, the poor, the man struggling to feed his children on works in the chai shop, the rickshaw wallow has got ex an extended family and living on a few paisa and a short life expectancy the beggars who are out in the streets morning, noon and night and to being informed through the vast reservoir too of literature some of the beautiful and insightful novels which are coming out of India about India life and, and, and knowing and, and feeling and being informed. And all of that, they're like seeds, they're, like, they're drops of water in, inside of us which transform consciousness. 
And 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 that then 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 we can if we go back to the west we can go back to the west renew we go back to the rest with a, a vitality that wants to connect wants to make networks wants to find groups of people wants to be in the forefront of human consciousness and not stuck in consumerism because there may be a time you know in the next generation or two generations and our children or our grandchildren you know they may say to us you know these years of the 1970s and the 1980s and all the what was going on all the destructiveness that was going on in our planet they may say to us what were you doing at this time where was your heart in these years and it seems to me that if we have sense of life and love and interdependence then it's it's got to be a, a, a broad vision so broad vision that we see our place in the historical processes we see our place in our time in relationship to the next generation and the future generations and that kind of perspective comes in our freedom in our liberation in our capacity to see the field of time so that we don't forget those who are forgotten may all beings live with love may all beings live with compassion may all beings live with wisdom Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.